You're listening to episode 103 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. This week's episode goes deep into healing on so many layers. Christabel Braden is a strong, soulful woman who brought so much insight to this week's episode. Christabel is an award-winning singer, songwriter, speaker, author, and the founder of Hope After Head Injury. After suffering a traumatic brain injury, she began to write music. Christabel is a living testimony and fights for what she believes in through her music, speaking, and advocating for brain injury. She is a sought-after speaker both in Christian ministry and brain injury events. March is Brain Injury Awareness Month, so I wanted to make sure I got this episode out in time. Reading directly from Brain Injury Association of America's website, For more than three decades, the BIAA has proudly led the nation in observing Brain Injury Awareness Month by conducting an engaging public awareness campaign in March each year. The theme for the 2018 to 2020 campaign is Change Your Mind. The hashtag Change Your Mind public awareness campaign provides a platform for educating the general public about the incidence of brain injury and the needs of people with brain injuries and their families. Individuals who join us will help raise awareness within the hashtag Change Your Mind campaign are essential to destigmatizing brain injury through outreach within the brain injury community, empowering those who have survived brain injury and their caregivers, and promoting the many types of support that are available to people living with brain injury. I hope you'll join me in raising awareness for Brain Injury Awareness Month by sharing today's episode. Awareness and education go hand in hand. This week's episode is sponsored by Spiritually Seeking. Spiritually Seeking is the new brand I've recently launched that serves as a hub for the curious, for the awakening, for the seeking. From card readings and numerology reports and even one-on-one spiritual guidance, I offer an array of goodies to help those who are on the journey of awareness and enlightenment. Head over to spirituallyseeking.com. There is a dash between spiritually and seeking, so it's spiritually-seeking.com to check it out. And if you enter the promo code PODCAST, you'll receive 10% off any of the products from now through the end of April. Okay, it's time to meet Christabel. You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith. Welcome back to another episode. Today I am joined by award-winning singer, songwriter, speaker, author, and the founder of Hope After Head Injury, Christabel Braden. Christabel, welcome to the show. I've been looking forward to connecting with you. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. I'm really excited to be here. We connected through a group that we're both part of, and you shared with me that life has really thrown some curveballs your way, but they actually helped you pave a new way in life for you. So let's just start with the traumatic brain injury you experienced as a teenager. Will you share your journey with us? Absolutely. My first traumatic brain injury happened when I was 14, and I'm 26 now. Uh, It happened so 12 years ago. It was December 2nd, 2007, and the first brain injury actually happened from playing the game Red Rover. Do you know that game? Yeah. So basically, I was at my church youth group, and they said, Red Rover, Red Rover, send Christabel on over. Uh, That's the last thing I remember for about a year and a half is running. Wow. And I've been told what happened. All the boys on the 
side of my team decided to run behind me and rush the other team. And the other side dropped their hands and I ran straight into the cement wall. I hit my left side of the top of my head on the cement wall. My head bounced off the floor. I was unconscious. It could have been anywhere from two to five minutes. We don't have an exact timeline, but we know generally some of the things that happened while I was unconscious. So we know it was enough time for the kids to all be laughing, stop laughing, realize I was unconscious, go and get the adults whole other part of the story. <laughs> right, I'm sure. But um, they didn't call my parents, tell them anything happened. I was sent home with the carpool and I wasn't showing signs of concussion right away. Mm. It was because the type of brain injury I had was a pressure swelling in my brain. So over the course of the next 72 hours, my brain swelled. And by Wednesday, it was a Sunday night. By Wednesday, I couldn't walk straight. I had blurry vision. I couldn't hold conversations. I was functioning on the level of a small child. I had to relearn how to get dressed, how to take a shower. All of the tasks that once became simple were hard. And it was basically rebuilding my entire life. And so that journey has continued. Um, I've had multiple re-concussions and re-injuries. I've had over 10 re-concussions, most recently being this past December, 2019. And it's been a very, very long journey. I still have certain limitations and certain things that I struggle with. I don't, I can't have a driver's license because of the brain injury. And, you know, I struggle with neuro fatigue and um, headaches, really bad debilitating migraines. And whenever I get tired or get a migraine, sometimes my speech will go and it'll all slur and my balance will get off to the point where I'm just falling over. If I get too tired, my face will droop. The whole right side of my body atrophied. So uh, through rehab, I was able to get back like a lot of the side of the right side of my body. And even last year, I saw a functional neurologist in Minnesota, Dr. Schmo at um, Functional Neurology Center changed my life. They were able to reconnect the right side of my brain with right side of my body with my brain. And for the first time, 2019, brain injury 2007, first time I can walk without looking at my feet. Wow. <laughs> like it was, yeah. And, but all the, all the while I look fine and I looked normal. So people would see me and they would have no idea that I had a brain injury and that every step that I took, cause you would see me walking and you would think, Oh, she's fine. She's walking around. But I had, it was like, instead of passively my brain, I have dysautonomia, which is dysfunction of the autonomic nervous system. So my reflexes and um, fight or flight response, all those things that are part of your nervous system are supposed to happen automatically for me was like an active thing on my brain. Mm. So, but a lot of that has been uh, helped by the functional neurologist, but vision issues, I mentioned that. It's been a long journey. <laughs> yeah, girl. Dang. I could only imagine as a child just how that impacted your life. Well, I mean, from like a day-to-day stance, like what did that look like for you in recovery and, and how, how did you feel? I felt hopeless mm-hmm. and I felt scared and I felt alone. I got bullied at school after it happened. Um, they just, this, the high schoolers just didn't understand how I could be so different. I was actually in 10th grade when I was 14 because I was, 
I was about to turn 15. I was ahead a year in school. So I was the age of a ninth grader, but I had skipped ahead academically and I was in line for valedictorian, had a lot of friends. I played on multiple sports teams. You know, I just, I danced five, I danced a couple nights a week doing all different kinds of, you know, dance. I was very active. And then suddenly I can't even shower by myself. Mm. And I'd want to say things, but my vocabulary vocabulary got so limited, my speech was all slurred. So it was like, sometimes my speech would come out clear, but that would maybe last 10 minutes before it would start all slurring up. Wow. And it was hard. Like, I don't remember the first year. And in some ways, I think that's a blessing because that was some of the hardest time. But what I do remember is feeling hopeless, afraid, alone, like I was never going to be anything. My life was never going to go anywhere. And I remember just feeling like I had less value because I had mm. a brain injury. Mm. And I've had to learn over time that your value is not determined by anything that's happened to you. Your worth is not dependent on what you've been through or any condition you live with or any you know, failure, so to say, or mistake or struggle that you go through, you're not defined by your circumstances. You're not defined by any of that. But in the moment, it feels like you are. Yeah. And, and how do you even in that moment when you're, when you're just feeling low, how do you start to look up? Where, where did you start finding your guiding light to, to kind of give you a breath of fresh air again? For me, the number one thing has always been faith and my belief in the Lord and knowing that God has a plan even when I can't see it and trusting that he's with me. That's gotten me through every day, every day of my life. And also I started to write music. Mm. And so the doctors think I had savant syndrome, which is when you hit your head and then you acquire a new skill and you just become really good at something that you didn't have before. I never wrote a song before the brain injury. Not, not one. And I never played guitar. I had quit piano lessons when I was a kid, like before I was 10, because I hated practicing. Oh my gosh, me and, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like not interested at all. I, I, I went to a high school of the arts, actually. I majored in acting and I was really, really good at memorization. And I had interned with the Delaware Shakespeare Festival. I, I'm originally from Delaware the summer before the brain injury happened. And I was really into theater and I only sang because it was convenient to get roles in musicals. I did not have a passion for music like that. I liked mm. musical theater, sure, but I, I had no passion for like music generally. Right. And after the brain injury, I had trouble communicating, but I, I started writing songs. And when I couldn't express myself in conversation, I would write a song about it. And I started to write songs that had rhyming lyrics that were deeply spiritual and made sense. My parents are like, our daughter can't talk to us at the dinner table, but she's bringing us these songs, of course, written in like chicken scratch handwriting because my right, right side of my body was messed up and I have a right, I'm right, I'm right handed. 
And so like with really bad handwriting and stuff, I would just, first time I brought them this piece of paper with like these words scribbled on it in pencil and I just handed it to them, didn't say anything. They were like, what's this? And I was just like, it's a song. And they were like, oh, oh what? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what to do with that. Yeah. And so they talked to my doctor and the doctor said music affects the brain differently. So to just go with it. And I was writing hundreds of songs within the first year. Wow. And yeah, <laughs> I never, ever expected to be doing music like as a career. Um, but now I'm a full-time singer, songwriter and speaker in, in different things. But, um, you know, I, I first was just singing. I would just sing and play our piano we had at home and then my dad ordered me my first guitar off the internet and I wrote my first song on it the second day I had it and just picked up the guitar like it was nothing and just was writing and singing and writing and singing and I started being asked to share some of my songs and my story around locally at different like churches and events and um there was a singer-songwriter that was local that had been doing it for like 20 years and he met me and he asked me to open for him at all of his shows. And he had like a daughter my age and he, you know, he got to know my parents and suddenly for the like a year and a half, I had a show every weekend because I was opening for this man who had a full schedule and he really took me under his wing. And if it wasn't for him, I don't, I never would have pursued music because I wasn't interested in like I wasn't, I couldn't see beyond rehabilitation therapy. So like right. I'd go to school half day, I'd go to the hospital half day and on the weekend I'd sing some of my songs. What a crazy life, right? Like it's something you literally could not see this coming almost. And then it's almost like this man's like an angel in your life, just like to give you a new purpose and Hey, you have direction with this and let me help you pave the way. Yeah, absolutely. And over time I started to, I, I specifically remember, I think I was around 17, 17 or 18. No, I was older than that. I was, I was, I was 18 or 19. By this point I was doing a lot more shows. I was getting my own gigs. And, um, I remember I did this one event at this like campground, kind of in the middle of nowhere, but it was a full <laughs> full house and afterwards all these people started lining up to talk to me and I was like uh what's happening and this lady comes up and she's like hey I survived cancer and your story really spoke to me somebody else was like I have been living with depression and your journey really spoke to me and that night like three or four people specifically told me stories of their life and how my journey through brain injury helped them and that was the first day I realized that my story could make an impact, not just on other brain injury survivors, but on people. And if I can bring somebody hope, because I kind of skipped over this part. Sorry, it's such a long journey. But um, what, through writing songs, I and through my faith, and I, I found hope. And I remember feeling hopeless. And my my... My main goal with the music and the concert started to be to bring people hope. Mm -hmm. And that night I realized that if my songs can help people find hope, that's what I want to do. Right. And I went to college, studied music, 
and just grew and, and fostered that, uh, I don't know, fostered that desire. And since then, I've just been recording music, writing music, singing, sharing hope. I, yeah, I love <laughs> it. Up there. No, no, I love it. It's such a beautiful story. And I love that you're owning yours. And before we, we hit record, you disclose another chapter of your life with me. And this has to do with your album. And by the time that this episode releases, your album will be have released. So we, we're free to talk about it now. So at one point, you said that you started to lose hope again in your journey. So you were sharing yeah. hope and then you got to another tower moment in life. Take it from there. Absolutely. Yeah. So in order to share that story, I need to share a little bit more of my background briefly. Yeah. I, after college, I put out an album called Hope Survives and I started an organization called Hope After Head Injury. And I started working with brain injury survivors and caregivers to help and encourage them. I started speaking at brain injury conferences. I started touring the country. I was doing 80 shows a year, touring mm -hmm. full-time, playing at churches, playing at different music venues. And then during the week, I would go to hospitals, rehab centers, prison ministries, homeless shelters, singing about hope and bringing people hope because like I said, I remember what it's like to feel hopeless. I don't want anyone to ever feel as alone as I felt. So that really gave me a lot of purpose in my life. And I felt for, this was 2017. I felt for the first time that I was really living and owning my story and making an impact and that I was being who I was meant to be and that I was doing it. And then Long story short, um, there was somebody who started coming to a lot of my events. I didn't recognize it as stalking. Thought he seemed nice. Long story short, I was sexually assaulted and abused, and I shut down. I stopped touring. I stopped answering emails. I couldn't function. I got so depressed and anxious and I felt so trapped with this person. I felt like I could never leave him. He would say things like, if you ever left me, I'd kill myself. He would threaten. I can't go into too much detail just because of my own safety, honestly. Right. right. But it was very scary. It was a very scary situation. By the grace of God, I am out of that. I have a protection from abuse order. He's legally barred from coming near me or speaking to me. But to get there, it, it was hard. And if any of you listening are a survivor of assault or abuse, I just want to say right now, it's not your fault. Yeah. Even when you feel like, like I used to blame myself. I used to feel like, I did something to deserve it because he would, you know, they're manipulative. Right. They're very like a narcissistic abuse, manipulative, you know, and I felt like, and I just remember feeling so trapped that I just would try and make the best of it. I'd put a smile on my face. I would just try so, so, so hard to just be okay, right. but I was not okay. I got out of that. 
but I was just, I lost my self-worth. I felt like I used to sing about hope and now I don't even know what hope is anymore. It's like he, t- he took so much from you, including that. Yeah. I mean, I, to be perfectly honest, I was a virgin. Like <laughs> I, I was waiting for marriage and in one moment that was gone. And, you know, I, I lost like my entire self and I've never been public about this story. This is the first interview I've given. Well, I, sharing I, this story. Seriously. I love that you feel safe enough to share this with us. And, and man, my, like my heart is just, I hope you can feel it. I'm just like sending you beams of like love and <laughs> light you. right now. <laughs> well, I've, and this, this goes, this goes very much hand in hand with owning your story. So yes. I want to kind of say where I was at it two years ago, stopped answering emails. People would email me to want to come do shows. I would just not answer. Mm. Like I shut down. I lost so much. I gained a lot of weight. I think it was partly because I didn't want men to look at me. Yeah. So, you know, and I would eat emotionally eat and I wasn't sleeping and I had PTSD and anxiety and like all of that can wreak havoc on your body. And, Mm. um, you know, so I gained weight. I wasn't feeling good about myself. And I just felt like, you know, I, it was hard. It was really, 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 really hard every day. And my mom is actually the one who said to me, because before this I'd had a brain injury. I felt like I overcame that and I was singing and helping other people with brain injuries. And then this happened and I was shut down. I wasn't doing any of that. My mom said to me, you're going to come out of this on the other side. And Mm -hmm. she just gave me a hug and she was like, write songs, like write about it, sing about it dig in because this is going to help people. And she was the one, and I think I would have gotten there eventually, but she encouraged it a little bit sooner than probably on my own. And, you know, my, my mom is, my mom is great. She, my parents have been so supportive through the whole brain injury, through everything. Like, you know, they're, I'm really, really fortunate and blessed to have, fantastic, loving, kind parents Mm. that would just do anything for their kids. I have two sisters as well. Um, And so my mom, she just, she was there. She was always a listening ear when I needed her. I started writing a song about my experience with the abuse. And this song went through like, it took me about six months to write. And it went through like five different versions and every version I would sing for my mom. And she would kind of be like, well, do you exactly want to say that? And this is interesting. So it's actually on my new album. My new album is called Declaration. And all of that to say, the album came out March 20th. And it's my first time being public about this story with this album. So the song is called My Story Now. And it's about taking back your story and owning Mm -hmm. your story. But when it started out, the song was written from a much more victim mentality. It was like, I'm hurting. This is what happened to me. I can't make sense of it. And over the course of six months, I I only worked on one song and I kept rewriting it and rewriting it as I was healing and as I was growing. And it slowly morphed into what it is now, which is a declaration. The lyrics of the chorus say, This is my declaration. I'm reclaiming everything you stole. Set a new destination. Now I'm making moves you can't control. I won't give up without a fight. You will never put out my light. So stay away. I'm standing my ground because this is my story now. Oh, 
How dang empowering is that? Thanks. It's, it's, been, it's been a journey. And so the new album has songs about my journey through brain injury as well. There's a song called Not Giving Up that I wrote more thinking about my brain injury, but it, it kind of all is from the whole album is about not giving up, holding on to hope. There's a song called Dare to Hope Again. And that's very personal because remember, my other album was called Hope Survives. Right. And then I lost the hope. And this song is about how when sometimes it takes bravery to be hopeful and to choose hope again after you've been disappointed so much in life and you've lost so much. I wrote that song. It actually follows the My Story Now song on the album. It's directly afterwards because from losing my hope through the abuse, I was able to turn around and find hope again. And I had to, but I had to choose it. And I realized hope is not a feeling. Hope is a choice. And you have to choose hope. Even when you don't feel like it, you have to choose to believe that there's something better coming. You have to choose to have faith. You know, um, in Hebrews 11, it says faith is the evidence of things not seen. So faith isn't when you see it. Faith is, I'm going to believe this beyond what I see right now. and. So that song was written about a year ago, and I'm releasing it now. And I'm, thank you. There's another song called "That's Not Love," and that song's about what love is and what love isn't. And you know, there's one line, and it says, "You know, love." The second verse: "Love should be patient. Love should be so pure. It lifts you up, supports you, believes you're worth fighting for. True love has no limits to how far it would go, but not for its self-interest." It allows you to say no. And if it doesn't, that's not love. Mm. And that song, the chorus is love never fails, but I've been failed before. <sighs> and it's about, and I just hope it empowers anyone who is in that type of situation. Like I remember feeling like I couldn't, I didn't know I could walk away after the first time. Yeah. I didn't know I could leave. Like, I was in this state of, you know, when you're being emotionally abused and manipulated and I didn't know I could leave. I didn't know I could walk away, but I could have. I could have walked away and then just blocked his number and never talked to him again. But I, I felt so trapped, like I had to stay. I don't want anyone to ever feel like if somebody is not treating you with love, if they're pretending like it's love and saying I love you, but their behavior is the complete opposite. And, and they're manipulating you, you don't have to stay. Yeah. You can leave. I at think any that's, moment. that's so important. What you just touched on is when the actions and the words don't match each other. I, I've spoken on this on the podcast before. I had um, an abusive boyfriend in high school, and uh, it, it, was, it was so confusing to me, even as a teenager, as someone continuously saying, I love you, and then doing these actions that are just like horrific. And I knew yeah. it wasn't right. But yet there I stayed. And, and for a long time, it took me a while to just forgive myself for staying. Cause it was, I got to a point where it was like, I forgave him. And right. So it's like, I, I forgive you as a person I'm moving on. But then it stuck with me as I had to forgive myself because a lot of my inner turmoil came with, why did you stay? 
why didn't you see that? You know, just like that chatter in your head. It's like, wake up almost. And then I got angry with self and that's not self-serving at all, as we know. Absolutely. That's such a good point. I'm so sorry you went through that. It's, it's one of those things too, that you, when you start to heal, then, then you can share your story. And, and I love that this is what you're doing. This is your mission. This is what you are living is yeah. owning your story and you're doing it in such a beautiful way. I'm a person who I love and connect to songs so much. And when I'm feeling emotional or a, even when I'm happy and you be a good emotion or a, a sad emotion, you turn to music and it's like, oh, someone someone understands me. Someone understands what I'm going through. So I love that you have tapped into this and and you are connecting with people through your creativity. Thank you. Music does hit different. It hits differently than anything else. You know, you can read a book, you can hear someone talk, but music does affect in a different way. And I think for me, it wasn't even as much of a choice as much as a necessity. Like I have to sing and write and be Mm. creative. I have to get it out with my emotions and creativity isn't limited to music or painting or writing or whatever it is, you know, but if there's any way that you can find some outlet to express how you're going through, even if it's interior decorating or, you know, something creative, something tangible to put your, put yourself into it makes a huge difference through healing process, but yeah, I know you, we, we touched on this about owning your story, but I just want to take a minute and encourage any listeners out there. Um, it's scary. It's scary to share your story. It's scary to talk about it. The first time I shared with more than just like my mom about the abuse. I was at the women's Bible study at my church and I was crying and I was just like, I, it was so hard to even say those words mm. to a group of women, but it was so therapeutic for me. I was in a safe space. And please remember when, it, if you've been through something difficult, when it comes to sharing your story, you don't have to share it with everyone. Boundaries are important. Yes. yes. <laughs> Share the pieces of yourself that could help others, but you have to keep some pieces to yourself as well. And so when it comes to owning your story, however, if you have like your mom, your best friend or your sisters or husband or, you know, somebody partner, somebody you can talk to that knows every part of you, you, we need that. We, we, otherwise we keep things bottled up. Right. But then when it comes to publicly, You have to have personal boundaries and then choose the parts that if you want to be public with your story and not everyone's meant to, maybe you're meant to share it with the friends and the people around you and you can make just as big of an impact that way. Not everyone's called to share their story on a podcast. Yes, absolutely. Like you have to do that. Owning your story is not just about that. And you don't have to tailor your career around your story. You know, for me, it just happened. Mm. And it's just part of what makes me who I am. Part of your purpose. Right. Part of my purpose and part of my, what keeps me going. But when it comes to you, maybe you do want to be a public speaker and share your story publicly and write books or whatever it is. 
And that's amazing. And go for it. If you have that stirring in your heart and in your spirit, like go for it because you could really help people and change people's lives. But also you can own your story and live with intention by getting up every day, knowing that you're more than what you've been through, going to work every day, making lunches for your children or your family, or, you know, cleaning your house, just being present in every day. That's part of living with intention and purpose and owning your story, not being someone that life happens to, but being someone that creates their, their own life, you know, and living more proactively than reactively and just going, you know what, I've been through all of this. My life has been awful. (laughs) There's been a lot of twists and turns. It doesn't, it never, it doesn't make it better. Like, because even though I've written songs about it, like the abuse doesn't go away. Like I've had to go to therapy and all this stuff. Like it doesn't, it never will be better. Like the hard parts that that you've been through, but you can find peace in healing and moving forward and knowing, you know what, once those wounds turn into scars is more when the scars might never go away, but they're not open wounds anymore. And that's when you can step forward and move. So, and move forward. But you can live with intention and purpose in your daily life and own your story and own who you are and build your life, build your career, live with purpose, do what you want to do, do what you feel in your bones. I'm a big believer that yes, you have to work a job to pay the bills, do what you need to pay the bills. But you know, whether it's your side hustle or whether it's your full time and then you have a side hustle that pays the bills, whatever it is, you have to do something that you feel a hundred percent this is what I love to do. (laughs) This is my purpose. So whether you work a nine to five and then, you know, you have a blog and, or art or music or a podcast or whatever, or whether you do full-time speaking and then on the side, you have to work a part-time job to pay the bills. Some part of your career, I firmly believe it helps you get up every day to know that it's part of your purpose and it's what Mm. you love to do. Oh, hundred percent. It's a lot harder when you're not in love with what you do. (laughs) It's, it's it's hard. And sometimes to get aligned on that can require some deep soul searching and silencing of the mind in itself and just really going within. And exploring and trying different things. Absolutely. Yeah. I didn't know I was going to like podcasting until I started podcasting, (laughs) you know, so It's like one of those never 10 years ago, would you have, if you had told me, Hey, you have a podcast, I probably wouldn't have believed you. I'm okay. (laughs) Sure. Right. And then you fast forward and Hey, podcasting. So sometimes it's, it's stepping out of your comfort zone to just try something new and, and seeing where it will go. Absolutely. I completely, completely agree with that. One last thing I wanted to touch on, I, I told you, I was like, I, we have to kind of um, reorganize the calendar, the launch calendar, because when I realized that March is Brain Injury Awareness Month, it only made sense to launch this episode in support of raising awareness for that. I saw on your Instagram, um, Hope After Head Injury Today, an interesting post and it was the key differences between female and male brain injuries. And you had actually posted this on international women's day. So it, you know, aligned with the day at the time, but I just found this wildly fascinating, especially the first part that women often experience longer and more severe symptoms than men. Do we know why this is? Do you know anything about the why behind that? 
So there, I think there are a couple reasons. Part of the research, and this comes from an article on everyday health, five ways concussions are different in women and men. So you can go there. They actually have links to all of the research specifically if you want to read up on it. But I, I think it's because one of the other reasons is that women are more susceptible to brain injury, mm-hmm. partly due to weaker neck muscles. Um, you know, men's necks are often very strong. Right. <laughs> like beefy. Yeah. Um, and women's necks are more pliable. And so a concussion doesn't come from a hit to the head. A concussion is your brain bouncing inside of your skull. And that's a really big misconception when it comes to brain injuries. You think you have to hit your head to have a concussion. And that's not the definition of a concussion isn't a hit to the head. It's a brain bounce in your skull mm-hmm. because there's not much around there. There's your brain, there's fluid, there's your skull. Yeah. Like that's all we got. we're not built to have our heads hit so much as opposed to other animals. Like, you know, did you know woodpeckers and rams, like they have cushioning around their brains. Yeah, because, I would have, I didn't know that about woodpeckers. What? <laughs> yeah, yeah, they have cushioning around their brains because they're meant to, you know, hit their rapidly heads. hit. Yeah, but humans are not created that way, and so I think that also there was one of the other reasons that female and male brain injury are different is women's hormones that mm. can affect health outcomes. So concussion can actually cause a decrease in progesterone production, Mm. which can affect a woman's hormones. Personally, before my brain injury happened, it was like my period was like clockwork. Like every, you know, however many days my cycle would come. After my brain injury, I didn't get it for like months. And then it would come super irregular. Like it, the brain injury completely changed my cycle and affected my hormones in a huge way. And that's because of damage to the hippocampus. So I had a diffuse injury where all the different areas of my brain were hit or were because of the pressure swelling. So like my, a lot of my natural body rhythm was messed up from the brain injury. So I think that's one of the reasons that women's brain injury is different and also how women experience more severe symptoms than men, because if our skulls are, um, if our, if our brain bounces more, so to say, then it could be a more deeper injury. It's like your brain is bruised. I mean, that just, that makes a a lot of sense in itself. And I didn't, I don't even think I was conscious of the definition of a concussion because you're right. You think it's automatically a, something to do with like your, your head being hit. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Like a helmet does not protect from concussion. It protects from a skull breaking. Yeah. It does not protect from a concussion. And of course you should still wear helmets, but um, another thing is like when you're in a car accident, people get concussions from when they get whiplash, when their head stops so abruptly in their brain, like, you know, an object in motion stays in motion, right? So their right. brain stays in motion, rams against the skull causes brain injury if you watch the movie concussion with will smith he does a really good job like that movie does it's a true story of a doctor that discovered cte in football players and it does a really good job explaining concussion but you know you don't have to hit your head like especially my doctor told me my brain is extra sensitive to trauma because of the trauma it's been through so it's like if i had an old injury like if you have an old injury to your knee you can aggravate it by like 
twisting it the wrong way or running. Right. It's like that on my brain. Like I fell down the stairs in December. I didn't even hit my head, but I hit down on my butt so hard that my brain bounced and it caused a pretty significant concussion. Wow. Is that like in those moments of time, because you know that you're so susceptible, um, is that like still so scary to you in those moments? Like (laughs) I'm like, I have to be careful 24 seven. Yeah. Yeah. Like, because especially my balance has gotten better, as I mentioned earlier over the the last year with the therapy I went to, but every step I'm careful. I'm constantly careful. I was getting so many concussions. I actually wore a helmet during college under my baseball caps. Like they have a helmet insert because I was just hitting my head so much. So like, you you know, it, I mean, it's just part, it's been part of my journey. It's, I think I would have been more recovered by now had I only had the first injury. Yeah. But because I've had so many re-injuries, it is. And another thing is brain injuries, concussions do not show up on CAT scans, on CT scans or MRIs. Interesting. That's the definition of a concussion. It does not show up on imaging. Mm. That's really it interesting. It's only itself. shown, it's, it's shown on spec scans, but nobody does those. Those are on like, those right now they're not in every hospital. They're like very, very high end brain scans, mm. um, that they've found that will show it, but it has to be done as you can see in the movie concussion with Will Smith. He has like the dead football players brains. He has to look at it on the cellular level to see the brain damage. Wow. And you just can't see that on the brain is so complex. You can't see it on the scans. But so many people go to the emergency room. If they hit their head, their scan comes out clear. They say, oh, you have a mild concussion. And they send them on their merry way. Right. But a definition of a mild concussion, it's a medical term that needs to change. Mild, all that means is you were not unconscious for, you were not unconscious too long and your skull didn't break. The Symptoms and effects are not mild (laughs) of a mild concussion. Oh my heavens. Yeah. I feel like that definitely needs to, because then you're like mild concussion. And then when I hear mild, I'm like, okay, not that big of a deal. You think it's like mild salsa. Right. Like, oh my gosh. That's so funny you said that. Cause I literally like was picturing salsa in my mind when I said mild. Yeah. So, yeah it's and like, it's oh, not that bad. Like that. It's nothing like yeah. medium or hot. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. And they say mild, moderate or severe brain injury. Right. And severe brain injury is like when somebody's like in a wheelchair, like really like right, really affected, like visibly affected. But mild brain injury, the majority of people with mild brain injuries are living on disability. Like that's what you have to understand. Like a mild brain injury can cause permanent disability and significant effects and have them only ever be diagnosed with mild brain injury because it's a medical term that's outdated that was created decades ago that makes no sense that's still used and i actually speak at medical conferences for medical professionals sharing about brain injury because most um they'll they'll have me come in to share about my story because most er doctors and they do not know much about concussion. They think there's no brain bleed. They're fine. And then the person is left with like all these struggles constantly and feeling like they're crazy and mood swings. And then the people around them saying they're crazy and then brain injuries get treated, um, get treated like psychiatrically. So people will be diagnosed with 
depression and anxiety and OCD and all these different things, but they're never, they're never treated neurologically to do neuro rehab. They're just being treated for the symptoms of not, not the root cause. And so they get put on antidepressants. They're like, why can I not get better? Why am I still depressed? Not realizing they have frontal lobe damage, which is impacting their ability to process emotion. Wow. Wow. I'm so glad that you're just dropping the education bombs everywhere you go because like I have already <laughs> learned so much. So I could just imagine being, you know, a professional and you know, I'm a doctor and then, whoa, here comes Christabel rocking my world with new information that I, <laughs> I may not have thought of in that way. And as a professional, yeah. maybe, maybe yeah, we need to do something. So I love this. Usually the organizers of the conference know all those things. That's why they contact me to come right. <laughs> right. because they want to help educate the, um, I just did one last week with, um, as a continuing education conference that was for medical professionals that work with brain injury. Mm. So it's just, but it's just like the general society's view. And that's why Brain Injury Awareness Month, thank you so much for putting this out for Brain Injury Awareness Month and allowing me to share about this because brain injury awareness is so important because it's invisible. You cannot see a brain injury. Right. And there's a huge portion of our population living with traumatic brain injury, but you can't see it. And it's the most commonly goes undiagnosed people are, are struggling and they, they're not even connecting it to, oh, when I was a teenager, I got a really bad sports accident or I hit my head or I was in a car accident and a, the concussion went undiagnosed, but they don't know they had a concussion and they're having troubles in their marriage with communication and with, and, or they have troubles in memory loss or they're having troubles with, you know, like I said, anxiety, depression, not understanding that that I'm not downplaying mental health. I know that that's a real thing for so many people. And of course I've been through, I've been through, I've been through my fair share of other circumstances in my life, but I'm specifically speaking to the people who have had brain injuries and then it goes untreated. And there are all these other things that could be corrected by just them having the knowledge of going, wait a minute, I'm not just depressed. I have frontal lobe issues. So here's some therapy I can do to help my frontal lobe. And instead of trying to just live through and struggle with processing their emotions, realizing, you know what, this is a physical thing in my brain that I can go to neuro neuro rehab or, you know, there are certain things I can do to help me process better. Mm. I love that. And I love that you're just bringing awareness to this. And I know our audience is likely as inspired as I am right now. Um, I think I'm just like on this whole wave of inspiration right now because I'm, I'm a little tongue tied myself. So I know they're going to want to connect with you further, get more information. Where can they go to do, to do all this? Absolutely. So com. that's spelled C-R-I-S-T-A-B-E-L-L-E, no H. I'm sure you'll have it in the title. I'll put it in show notes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's just no H in there. Um, ChristabelBraden.com, social media, ChristabelBraden, Instagram, uh, Twitter. I actually have a brain injury online support group on Facebook. If anyone is a survivor, you can join Hope After Head Injury. 
music is on all listening platforms, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube. And I also have a podcast called Declaration Life about declaring purpose over your life where I interview women on there. So I love it. Match it. I love it. I cannot wait to listen to your new album. It sounds so amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your journey and your passion, your light. You are a true definition of a world shaker. And it has been such a joy speaking with you today. Well, thank you so much for offering a safe space to be able to share and speak. And I hope it encouraged some people today. At the time this episode was recorded, COVID-19 was not yet a pandemic. Since then, Christabel has had to reschedule her performance that she spoke about in this week's episode. I've linked Christabel's new album, her website, podcast, social channels, everything on this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and be sure to give the podcast a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you tune in and turn it up. Don't forget to join me on Friday for a new episode of Fuel Your Life Friday, but until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.